Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. This week's episode, Wes sits down with his wife, Holly, to mark an anniversary of their 20 years in ministry. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome back to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. Uh, I am excited that we're going to do just a little bit different kind of an episode today. Uh, Typically, we take a question and we look at some scripture and we talk about it from a biblical perspective. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about ministry and life in ministry. And my favorite person in the whole world, Travis, is one of my favorite people, but Unfortunately, he doesn't compare to my most favorite person, which is my wife, Holly. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. Thanks for fitting me in your schedule. (laughs) I am. I'm always excited that we get to do a podcast together uh, because um, mostly, well, mostly because I like hanging out with you. Thanks. That's good. That's the right answer. (laughs) And secondly, because our audience really likes it when you're on the podcast. What can I say? Travis and I need to squeeze you in more and get you on the on the podcast more. Um, and you wanted to do this today specifically because we you are celebrating your 20th year in ministry. 20th year in ministry. Yeah, just this full-time ministry. Last week I realized that 20 years ago last week I started youth ministry in Hot Springs, Arkansas. That was before you and I were even dating. It's true. Yep. So you so tell us the story about your ministry life. So you graduated high school and then like two days, two days later, you, yep. I you moved, started. I moved to Hot Springs, Arkansas, where I was a youth intern. It was supposed to be a summer internship. Um, so right now we have summer interns here at McDermott Road that they're doing their summer internship. And I think hmm, seems like just yesterday <laughs> I was doing that. And um, so it was supposed to be a summer and they were looking for a youth minister at the time. And They couldn't find anybody else. So they said, why don't we let Wes do it? (laughs) And so they kept me around. And so I I sort of moved into full-time ministry, even though the internship was sort of full-time. It was just supposed to be a temporary full-time gig. And then um, after the summer was over, I started doing, um, I was the, the youth minister there for about a year and a half. And then I decided I didn't want to ever do youth ministry ever again under any circumstances. Um, I would do youth ministry two more times before it was all said and done, but I thought I was done with it. And then um, you ended up talking me into applying to the congregation where you grew up in Midland. Yeah, by this time we were oh, dating. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we were yeah. we were dating halfway through the Hot Springs youth ministry career. And part then, one. Yeah, part one, part one. <laughs> and then um, I moved to Midland, Texas, where I was youth minister for a while, and then we got married while we were in Midland, and then we were there for maybe another year after yeah. we got married, mm-hmm. about a year. And then as soon as, um, about a year after we got married, we decided, okay, we really are done with youth ministry this time. I want to preach. And so we found the very first preaching job that was offered to me in Northeast Arkansas, and we took off for Arkansas from uh, from Texas, from Midland. And uh, we were only there for about a year and a half. Um, various reasons. Great congregation. We loved it and it was great. But the position at Hot Springs that I had originally left uh, and sworn off youth ministry forever, they called me and said, hey, our youth minister's leaving. Would you be interested? And we were like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Because we had a lot of people there that we loved and 
uh, they sort of drew us back in. And so we went back to Hot Springs and we were there for, I don't know, four, four and a half years, something mm-hmm. like that. And our boys were born there. Yes, our boys were born there. And uh, we finally, after I don't know how many years of youth ministry, I was really done that time. <laughs> and so when we were, uh, we got the opportunity to, um, I was called by a congregation in Abilene, Texas, and uh, that was where my parents lived, and uh, they were looking for a preacher, and it just was a really, it was time to step out of youth ministry, and um, it was an opportunity to live close to my parents, and so, as you said, both the boys were born, they were little, and so it was a great opportunity to be closer to your parents and uh, closer to mine, and so we moved to Abilene, and we were there for almost five years or so, four and a half years, mm-hmm. and then uh, McDermott Road called and asked, and I said, absolutely not, and uh, we kept looking, and they kept um, asking, and so eventually we ended up here. So, and we've been here for four and a half years now, mm-hmm. and hopefully we're here to stay. Hopefully they never run us out of town because I'm done moving. I I don't like to move, and that's not a fun part of the ministry life yep. thus far. Hopefully. This will be the last time we'll be here for 30 years or so. And that will be where our story ends, hopefully. Yep, hopefully Lord willing. So. Yeah, <laughs> many, many years from now. All right. So what made you want to become a full-time minister? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I mean, I guess I do know. Um, I didn't really want to preach necessarily. I wanted to do, I wanted to be a missionary. I, that was that was really what I wanted to do. I wanted to do mission work. Um uh, and I, ironically, I'm one of the few siblings in my family that hasn't done much mission work. Um, and uh, although I will say I, I do consider what I do right now mission work. Right. Um, I consider myself a missionary in the a missionary in the United States. I consider myself a missionary in in the Metroplex, uh, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, but um, I wanted to go overseas. That was that was the original plan. Um, I was at the Sunset Workshop. Um, and there was a clock that was a world population clock. And I think at the time it clicked over 7 billion people in the world. It's more than that now, obviously. Um, but as it clicked over the next billion mark, whatever it was at the time, um, and we talked about how few of those were Christians, um, it just was impressed on my heart in that workshop. And that was their intention. That's what they wanted to do was to impress upon everybody there the importance of um, sharing the good news with people. And I knew I have to be a part of that in some way. In fact, Richard Rogers, uh, one of the teachers at Sunset uh, International Bible Institute, uh, Sunset School of Preaching, he gave a lesson and it impacted me. I know that it, the same lesson impacted two of my sisters. And um, he said that we all have to commit to either going down into the well of human despair or holding the rope for those who do. And, and we all have uh, an obligation as God's people to either go and be the one who is sent or be the one doing the sending. We need people doing both. We need people that are supporting evangelism and we need those that are boots on the ground and doing the work of evangelism. And so I knew at that point, and I was in high school, that I needed to do something to either go down into the well of human despair or to hold the rope for those who do. And and so I made a decision right then and there that I was going to be in some sort of ministry, some sort of evangelism, some sort of um, mission work. And I really thought I would do um, mission work, uh, but when Hot Springs called uh, this summer after my um, 
or right before the the summer of my senior year in high school and said, hey, why don't you come be an intern for us um, and do youth ministry? I thought, well, this is a great, good opportunity for this summer. And uh, it sort of drew me into that side of, of things. And I, I don't regret that at all, but uh, it's definitely not what I had in mind. I, I pictured myself going to Africa or Asia or you know somewhere on the other side of the world and, and sharing the good news with people there. But instead, I got to share the good news with people here. So if you could go back to that very first Sunday <laughs> in 2001, Hot Springs, Arkansas, little little Mr. Wesley McAdams <laughs> had his Ford Explorer full to the brim. I didn't even have the Ford Explorer yet. Oh, yeah, that's right. I had a Ford Crown Victoria. Yeah, awesomeness. Yes. Yes. So if you could go back to that first Sunday, what would you tell yourself about the next 20 years? I don't know. Mm. I mean, part of me says that I would I would tell myself how little I knew and I would give myself a good dose of humility. But at the same time, I know just how much um, I have always struggled with self-loathing. Um, so I would at the same time want to shake my finger at young Wes and say, dude, you don't know 90% of what you think you know. Um, and you have so much learning to do. You have so much growth to do. Um, in fact, you probably shouldn't be teaching anybody. You should just be learning instead of teaching. Um, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't want to discourage the young me because if, if he hadn't gone through everything he went through and had those experiences, I wouldn't be where I am today. So I'm thankful for everything that I went through. And I'm thankful that I got um, sort of shoved into or dropped into the middle of uh, things that I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, somebody said to me as I was preparing to go to Hot Springs that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Um, that that he doesn't call qualified people because there are no qualified people. He qualifies people. He he helps make people into what they need to be um, as as they're being called, as they're as they're being used in his service. And so uh, that really helped encourage me that even though I had never been in a youth group, I grew up in a small congregation. I didn't have a youth group. I really didn't know what youth ministry was supposed to look like or was supposed to be like. Um, that that the Lord would help me through it, and he did. And so part of me says I'd want to humble my young self, but part of me says that I would want to just encourage my young self. Um, but I think that more than anything, what I would say is keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember that this is about him and not about you. It's not about how much you know or how little you know. It's not about how good you are or how bad you are. It's about how good he is and how much he knows. Um, and so not only keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, but help other people to see Jesus. And don't get so caught up in your own successes or your own failures, uh, because I have this tendency to uh, to beat myself up really bad. And, um, and I, I would want to encourage... Um, my young self to remember it's not about you it's about the lord good deal so you've been a pulpit minister and a youth minister what has been your favorite thing about being a youth minister favorite thing about being a youth minister was definitely i think you and i would probably say the same thing um is definitely the devotionals the camps the singing. <laughs> i know i know it yeah in fact, we're getting ready to go to church camp uh, and teach church camp. We haven't done that since uh, before we had kids. So um, it's going to be great to sit around campfire and sing with the kids. And yeah, that's that's the thing I miss the most is just that um, un, 
unfiltered worship that that young people um, have maybe have an easier time engaging in and and just the the raw uh, worship and emotion and praise that's part of uh, the young development of faith and um, spirituality. And I, I really miss that uh, because young people are, especially kids that didn't grow up in the church um, and and sort of get involved in, in a youth ministry program. Um, it's amazing how they're willing to ask questions that adults would never ask. They're willing to be vulnerable in ways that adults might not ever be vulnerable. Um, and I miss that. I miss that. Um, that that part of it and i enjoyed that part of it a lot i thought you were going to say um or my part is my favorite part was just being with the kids yeah and just uh you know i always said you're always gonna be one of our kids you yeah. know and so a lot of them are married now and have kids of their own yeah but we won't talk about that that's <laughs> too weird <laughs> but no we're we're happy for them and we love seeing them on Facebook and how they're growing and how they're starting their own families. Yeah. And Again, I've gotten to preach several of their weddings. Right. And yeah, it's yeah. amazing. That's awesome. I We we love you guys and we loved being with you, being they're a part of your they're, life. They're listening to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so what has been your least favorite part about being a youth minister? Lock-ins. <laughs> no, no hesitation. Right away. <laughs> yes, I knew that question was coming and I was prepared to answer it. Yeah, lock-ins for sure. No, yeah. I, I mean, the it's just, it's so hard. The way that youth ministry tends to be done in our culture, um, I have a lot of thoughts about how that's done. I think there needs to be more emphasis on family. I, one of the things I really appreciate about McDermott Road is that there's a focus on and an emphasis on family um, as opposed to um, just youth. In fact, we had somebody on the podcast a few weeks ago, Luke Dockery, and his official title instead of youth and family minister is youth in family minister uh, because he believes in ministering to youth within the context of family, not just ministering to youth and their families, but ministering to youth within the context of their families. And I think that's exactly right. I think that's what we need to be doing. Uh, but the way that youth ministry tends to be done is the youth minister takes kids on, takes the students on trips and does all of these activities with them, which there's a place for that too. And I, and I, I appreciate that part of it, but mm -hmm. that's a young man's game. And it didn't take me very long to realize that uh, staying up all night and going on these long trips and not having nearly enough chaperones that just, it, it wears on you. And, and as we, as we were building our own family, it became very difficult to keep any sort of regular hours and, and, be there for my kids and be there for everybody else's kids at the same time. So, yeah. Right. There's no tired like walk-in tired. There is no <laughs> tired like. To this day, I compare being tired to, I feel like I did a lock-in last night. That's right. that's, uh, that's my, my bar for how tired I am. Right. So what has been your favorite thing about being a pulpit minister? Um, definitely the more time to study, especially here, um, the being part of a team, um, allows that to happen, but also just the nature of of preaching, being a preaching minister, um, that it's given me more time to study and to be in my office and to think deeply about important things. Whereas youth ministry teaching is a lot more off the cuff. It's a lot more less prepared and just sort of being in the moment, answering their questions that they have and just helping them sort through and work through those things. And it's 
a lot of it, you know, unfortunately becomes very surface level. Uh, whereas with preaching ministry, it's a lot better, bigger challenge to preach a sermon and try to engage not only people that are in their the same age as me or you know retired or or teenagers and everybody in between and and try to present a lesson that is applicable and relevant and also theologically rich to a wide um, demographic in the audience, that's a very challenging thing. And I love that part of it. And I love studying and preparing to do that. Uh, but it's definitely more of a challenge. So is that the least favorite thing about being a pulpit minister? Or what would that be? No, the the least favorite thing is sort of the expectations that go along with, and less so here because we have such a big team. We have a lot of ministers that do a lot of different things, and so I'm able to focus on more the things that uh, God has has gifted me with and and be able to focus on my ministry. Uh, but especially in smaller congregations, there are unfair expectations. I, I think about when we first started. I mean, we were, we were very young. We didn't have kids. We were just newly married. And now all of a sudden, not only am I supposed to preach on Sundays, but I'm supposed to uh, walk through death and grief with people that are mourning. I'm supposed to counsel people that are having marriage problems. I'm supposed to give the elders my advice on on church leadership. I, there were so many things that I was totally unqualified for. Um, just because I, I might be able to deliver a sermon on Sunday doesn't mean that I'm equipped to do all of these other things. And I think that's something that the church really needs to think long and hard about. We, we very rightly uh, say that the eldership, the plurality of elders, should be the pastors, but yet we look at all of these sort of pastor-led churches and we put those same expectations on our quote-unquote ministers or preachers or evangelists, and we want them to do the same job, but not make any of the decisions. Um, and I'm not saying they should make the decisions, but I'm also saying we shouldn't expect these especially young preachers to be counselors and um, and psychiatrists and church leaders and all of these things. Do that the we, bulletin. <laughs> yeah, do the, yeah, exactly. Administrative stuff, too. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have to be very careful, and I think we overload preachers and, for that matter, preachers' wives, uh, with written and unwritten expectations about what we think preaching should be or ministry should be. And so uh, I think we have to be really careful about that. And that's definitely has been my least favorite part of it. Again, here at McDermott Road, it's different because I'm a part of a team and I'm able to sort of focus more on what what I'm able to do, um, what I'm, I feel like I'm better at, and not focus so much on these other areas because we have so many shepherds and we have so many ministers that are doing the, those works. Right. What is your favorite thing to preach about? My favorite thing to preach about, um, it's whatever I'm preaching right now, I think. <laughs> right. um, and, I mean, my soapbox for preaching, I think everybody listening to the podcast probably knows that my soapbox is reading through whole books at, at, in a setting. So um, I love to preach expository sermons where I'm in one text and I'm helping people to see the context and focus on the context and then encouraging them to read through the whole, the whole book. So anytime I'm able to... Uh, preach an expository sermon over especially a whole book of the of the Bible or preach a whole series exposing a particular text that's my favorite I don't like when I've sort of painted myself into a corner where I need to preach more of a topical lesson and sort of jump all over the place in in throughout scripture and tie things together there's a place for that and I'm not trying to discourage that that's just not my favorite thing to do and I 
I think one of the reasons it's not my favorite thing to do is because I know I've done it so poorly in the past. I know that there's been times in the past where I've pulled things out of context and I've preached lessons where I used a verse to support an idea because I heard somebody else do that. I, I knew this verse is the verse you use to prove this idea. And then when I really started to study the context, I realized, oh, not only was I using this wrong, but the person I heard it from, they were using it wrong. And we just keep repeating the same thing because we just haven't sat down and read through the whole book apparently, and we don't realize the context of it. So I, I know I've done that poorly in the past. And so I hate anytime I have to preach a, a topical lesson, I'd much rather preach expository. Reflecting on your 20 years of ministry and your 38 years of life on this earth, <laughs> 38, years. 38 years, who has influenced you and how, how did they influence you? Oh, so many people, um, so many people that I know and so many people that I don't know, people that I've read, um, as far as like, um, you know, it's interesting. There's, there's authors like Tim Keller that I really have learned so much from. Um, there's also somebody like Andy Stanley. Um, and I always feel like I have to say, I don't like Andy Stanley and Andy Stanley's theology, uh, but his book on preaching, um, communicating for a change has really shaped the way I, I preach um, and, and sort of outline every lesson that I do. So that's influenced me huge. Uh, but then I also think about people I've known personally. Jack Smith was the preacher in Hot Springs when I worked there. Uh, Mike Vestal was the preacher in Midland when I worked there as youth minister. And both of those men, very different, very different preaching styles, very different ministry styles, very different personalities. But they were hugely influential on my life and just understanding the church and understanding ministry. Um, and, and I'm so incredibly thankful for both of those men and their families um, and different elders that, that I've had over the years. I won't name a bunch of them, but, but so many elders that I've had that have helped me to, um, to see things in new ways that have walked beside me, that have been patient with me. Um, you know, it's funny when you say 38 years, I mean, I, I still think that that's relatively young, so I think I'm I'm still a young preacher. But I mean, man, I was 20, 21, 22 years old, and I didn't know anything about about life or about ministry or about scripture. And so, so many patient elders, patient shepherds that shepherded me as much as they shepherded anybody else. And so, incredibly thankful. But obviously, I have to say, not just because you're sitting here, but um, no. but I mean, I couldn't do any of this without without you. And you have been, I think back to doing ministry before we were married and how I had no balance to my life and how it was just either a thousand miles an hour or nothing. Um, and how you have helped me to balance things and how you've brought a whole nother perspective to my life and to my ministry. And so I, I can't imagine doing this without, without you. So yeah, so many, so many people in our family, so many people in the church, so many people that I've read and heard and listened to, uh, preachers from generations ago, uh, that have shaped and, and molded and influenced my life. So if I, if a person is listening and they're not going to become a full-time minister, but they want to encourage full-time member uh, ministers or full-time staff members of the church or want to encourage their their kids to become a minister or whatever how can we how can those people be an encouragement to you know 
their fellow, their preacher or to upcoming preachers? How can people be an encouragement to uh, upcoming preachers or their current preacher? That's a lot. Um, but I, I mean, that's a good question. I, I think that if somebody wants to go into ministry and you want to encourage them, be very honest with them. I think that we don't, we could talk about whether or not God, quote unquote, calls people to ministry, uh, but certainly we call each other to ministry. Um, and I think that too often people try to call themselves to ministry. And I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. Um, even Paul, um, even after he was he was commissioned by Jesus to to be an apostle, he went back to Tarsus. He went back to his hometown. I'm sure he was doing something up there. But until Barnabas came and got him uh, and brought him into the work, um, he was sort of hanging out in in that area of the world. And I, I think that we don't we don't put enough emphasis on the fact that ministry is not like other jobs. Other jobs, you decide, I want to be a lawyer. And then you study and you go to, to work as a lawyer. Or you say, I want to be a, a baseball player. Or I want to be a garbage collector. Or I want to be a custodian. Or I want to be a, a chef or whatever. And then you go to school and you become that. I don't think ministry is like that. I think we need to, if not called by God, at least called by one another. And there have to be people in our life that are saying, you need to make a life out of this. You need to make a life out of sharing the good news with Jesus um, and and bring people into that life of ministry. And I had people like that. I think I didn't mention earlier Jay Kelly, uh, but Jay Kelly was my my preacher when I was in in junior high and high school. And he did that for me in my life. And, and he really paved that road. And I wouldn't have even been at that Sunset Workshop had it not been for Jay. And so um, I think that we need those people in our life. And then the church in Hot Springs, they called me. Um, and almost every church that we've worked for, it's because they called us and they invited us to be part of the work that they were doing. So if there's somebody in your life and they want to be in full-time ministry, I think we're all ministers. We're all doing some work for, for the Lord and for the church. But um, if there's somebody in your life, a young person especially, that wants to preach or teach or be a missionary and you don't see that in them and you don't think that they would be effective— then don't flatter them. That doesn't mean you have to tell them, hey, don't, you know, find something else. But don't don't flatter them just to flatter them. Don't flatter them just because you think that's a, a good thing for people to aspire to. James says, not many of us should be teachers. Um, and it's not something that everyone should be doing. Um, and I think we have to be honest with each other. And I, I see so many times uh, a, a young man or, or a married man, for that matter, with a family will go to a school of preaching and and try to make a life of this. And I just wish somebody in his life would have told him, this probably isn't for you. Um, but there also will be people that they don't even think about it. Like they, they're they planning on being a lawyer or a doctor or a custodian or a chef or whatever. And you think, no, this person needs to be sharing the good news of Jesus with people. They have a spark. They have an ability. They have a whatever. And you see that in them. And that's on your heart to tell them. Then tell them and encourage them and and 
help them to see what you see in them. And so I, I know people have done that for me. People did that for me. Um, Jay used to joke that, that someday he would tell people that he knew me when I, when I couldn't preach, which was kind of an encouragement. But <laughs> since I was preaching when he said that, and I was preaching for the little church, then it was kind of like, he can't preach right now, but someday maybe he'll be able to. Um, but, but you have to help people to see in themselves what you can see in them. And so you can encourage young young men, young women to maybe, we're, we're not just talking about preaching and, and uh, youth ministry, that kind of thing. We've said on this podcast before, we need to encourage our young people, especially young single people, to go do dangerous things for Jesus. We need to encourage, I, I know I'm saying this to my wife, who's <laughs> the mother of my children, but I mean, if our boys said, I want to go preach the gospel in a country where it's illegal to preach the gospel, and I want to go share with them about Jesus, and we know it's possible that they might get arrested, they might be deported, they might even be killed, we need to be okay with that. There is nothing better for a follower of Jesus than to give their life for the kingdom of God. And if that's true, then as parents, we have to be okay with our children doing dangerous things for the kingdom of God. Um and I would a whole lot rather they do that that is dangerous than some other thing that is dangerous that's not for the kingdom of God. And so we 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 need to encourage young people and and there's gonna be some single young people, some single men and some single women, and we're, we're going to tell them, listen, maybe, at least for the time being, maybe what you need to be doing is sharing the gospel in some village somewhere. Maybe what you need to be doing right now is is go over there and do this thing. Um, instead of what we tend to just encourage people, go to college, you know, get a degree, get married, have kids, have a, a house with a white picket fence and all of these things. We have to have a different set of priorities. And so I think it's time that we encourage young people. Not everybody should do that or needs to do that, but some people do. <laughs> we need people that are willing to do dangerous things and not just dangerous things, and not just be in dangerous places, but to make sacrifices to share the good news of Jesus with people. And then you also asked about people that are in ministry and how we encourage them. I, I think it's just, number one, treat them like a real person, that that they, chances are your preacher, your youth minister, or your preacher's wife, or your youth minister's wife, or your elders, or their wives, anybody that's in public service and ministry, they probably have burdens that they are carrying that they don't feel like they can share with anybody. They feel they have temptations, they have struggles, they have fears, they have doubts, they have whatever that they don't feel like they can share with anybody. And somebody needs to say, you can share those with me. You can talk to me about those things. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to tell somebody about it. I'm. It's going to stay between us and just be a friend. And people in ministry have so few real friends uh, because we have a hard time not feeling like we're working. And anytime we're around someone, we feel like we have to be ministering to them. And very seldom do we feel like somebody is actually there to minister to us as a mutually beneficial friendship. And so enter into those mutually beneficial friendships. And I'm thankful for those that that I have, that people that have been willing to do that with me and for me. And it's a burden for them to bear. Um, Sam Dominguez is, is one of those friends that I have that if it wasn't for Sam, we, we probably wouldn't even be sitting here right now because he was he helped start the podcast. 
And the, this podcast that used to be Crosstalk, it started by Sam and James and Cameron and I, three guys that went to church with us in Abilene. And we, we were having these spiritual conversations anyway. And then we said, well, why don't we record them so that other people can can benefit from that? But we were friends. We were friends that encouraged each other. And that's just so important. So my encouragement to anybody listening that, that has anybody in their life in ministry, just be their friend. Treat them like a real person and help them to know that you are a safe person and that you want to have a mutually beneficial friendship with them. You don't have to be a full-time minister to be a minister. We've talked about that. And we've, t- we've, tell that, we've told that to our boys too. You know, you don't have to be a preacher like daddy is, you know, yeah. you're not going to have to do that. You don't have to do that. Um, but we have talked to them about, you know, whether you're on stage leading singing every Sunday or whatever, you need to be involved when you're, you know, when you're growing up, when you have a family of your own or whatever, when when you're an adult, we we expect that of you to be involved in the congregation. So how, what do you tell, what else can you tell our boys or other families raising kids about their kids growing up to be leaders in the church or involved in the church, even if it's not full-time ministry? Yeah. I think that 2020 showed us just how important that community is and being involved in that community. The church isn't like Walmart. The church isn't like some business or some organization that you volunteer to help the church as if it's this other entity. The church is us. We are the church. Um, and so it that's it, it's almost like saying, how do you encourage your kids to be involved in the family? It's like, because they're in the family, like you, you just, you yeah. think you have to think of yourself like that. But unfortunately people don't, they, they think of, I, I remember the first time that this dawned on me, I, I saw on Facebook, someone say they were struggling with something, they were having financial problems or something. And, and someone commented that was a member of the congregation we attended. We have con- construction going on here, different things. So if you hear the background noise, um, that's what's going on. Um, but, but someone in the congregation commented, you should call the church and see if the church can help. And I just thought how ironic that was because the person saying this was the church. (laughs) We are the church. You don't call the church. You are the church. Yes, you can call the office at the church building and you could talk to somebody that works full time for the church, but we are the church. All of us are the church. This, This building that we're in right now, this is the church house. This is the church's house. This is our shared house where we come together and and share meals and, and share fellowship and worship together and break the bread and drink the cup. Like this is our house. Um, and, and we are a family. And so help your kids grow up, hopefully from as young as possible, as soon as that dawns on you, help your kids to recognize this is our family and we support our family and we love our family. We take care of our family. We share everything with our family. And if our, if our brothers and sisters need us, we're there for them, not just in a single congregation, but the church throughout the world. And we have to think of it that way. We have to live that out. This has to be who we are. And so the way I think about my ministry, it, it gives me, 
it, it makes me cringe almost to think of it like a career. This isn't my job. This is what I would be doing anyway. I'm just blessed that the eldership at several congregations have been willing over the years to financially support my family so that I can focus on doing what I would do anyway if I could without any any compensation. And, and I think that's how we have to think about ministry. I don't work for the church. I work with the church. I work with them and they support y'all. They support my family so that I can focus on doing this work. Um, but, but, but I don't even think about it as them paying me. It's not a paycheck. It's not a salary. I don't do a job in order to get a check. I do this job because this is what I would be doing anyway. And the church takes care of my family so that I can focus on this. In the next 20 years, where do you see yourself or McDermott Road? <laughs> what do you hope to accomplish in the next 20 years? Um, yeah, I no, honestly, I really do. I, I really hope this is the last preaching job we ever have. I hope that that this is where we're able to retire and and be here for a long time. And I, I really hope that I'm able to write more. Um, I, I hope that I'm able to travel more. I really enjoy um meeting Christians from all over um, the country, but especially in other countries. That's that's my biggest goal, is to get you on an airplane to go to Africa or <laughs> Europe or Asia or Australia. Um, there's so many places I want to travel, not to teach them, but to be taught by them. I, there's so many things from other cultures and Christians that are living out the gospel in other cultures that I want to learn from them. I want to learn where my cultural blind spots are by seeing, oh, there's another way of doing this. This isn't the only way to do this and and think through the gospel in another context. And so I, over the next 20, 30, 40 years, I want to travel. I, don't, I may have added too many decades on there. There's no telling how long I'll, I'll get to live <laughs> and enjoy the, the life here before the resurrection. But, um, but yeah, as long as the Lord lets me, I, I want to travel more and and know Christians, my brothers and sisters from all over the world, and be a part of what they're doing and let them teach me. But I hope that McDermott Road is always our home base. All right, here's to 20 years. Congrats. 20? 20. Oh, I thought you were doing a fist bump. You're yeah, cling. Clinking. Clinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I apologize for anybody that has listened this far and was expecting this to be uh, a Bible study. It wasn't a Bible study, but hopefully it's given people a few spiritual things to think about. And whether you are in, quote unquote, full-time ministry or not, you know someone who is probably, and you can encourage them. And, and I just want to, I want to thank everybody that makes this podcast possible um, here at McDermott Road, Travis especially, um, but also um, also everybody that's listening and over the years, um, our brothers and sisters throughout the world that are doing the work of ministry in their own congregations, in their own neighborhoods, uh, whether they, their families are financially supported by the church or not, uh, we're all ministers and we're all doing this work and we're all in it together and we love each and every one of you and we all want to support one another and help each other as we seek to glorify God in all we do. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. Special thanks to Travis Polly as well as our McDermott Road Church family for helping to make this podcast possible. And special thanks to every one of you. We hope that you enjoyed this Bible study and that you'll join us next time. We love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.